By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded. My name is Scott Phillips, Head of Emerging Markets at Moody's Investor Service, and I'm joined by my colleagues David Rogovic and Mick Cabea, and also by Matt Perney, Head of Ratings at GCR Ratings. Just one thing to notice that any views expressed by Matt in today's episode do reflect his own views and not those of Moody's. So with that out of the way, welcome to you all. Now today we're going to focus on credit dynamics in Africa, and we do so as US President Biden prepares to receive leaders from across the continent in Washington, D.C. for the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit. Now, for the last few months, we've talked a lot about how difficult a year 2022 has been for emerging market investors. But for Africa in particular, it has been particularly challenging. And we've seen a number of negative rating actions this year, including for the larger economies like Nigeria, Ghana, Uganda and Tunisia. But it hasn't all been negative. We've recently changed the outlook to positive for Angola, Ivory Coast and Tanzania, and we've upgraded the ratings for the DRC. Now, despite all of this, we do still think, though, that 2023 is going to be a difficult year for Africa, and our negative outlook for EM credit conditions will particularly hit those African sovereigns that generally have less flexibility than larger, more diversified EMs. And while we've seen some easing in financial conditions in recent weeks, there remain significant concerns about debt sustainability for the cohort of sovereigns rated single B and below. So David, hello to you. Turning to you first then, I mean, when we look at the continent, could you just talk us through the different growth dynamics that we're seeing in the different regions? And and where do you see the bright spots? And and also, where do you think growth is going to be slower? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Scott. So the weaker global backdrop is clearly having a negative impact on sub-Saharan Africa. And it's a combination of not just weaker global growth, which is weighing on demand for, for exports, but it's also elevated food and fuel prices, which is led to a pickup in inflation, tighter monetary policy domestically in response to that higher inflation. And lastly, we have governments that are really limited in terms of their, their financing options and ability to cushion households and businesses from this period of, of elevated inflation. And so when you put this all together, we're looking at growth in the region in 2023. Uh, we're expecting growth to be slightly below the pre-pandemic trend of around 35 to 4%. And uh, I'd maybe highlight you know, two or three points here. Um, First, you have to keep in mind that economic activity in 2022 is only just beginning to recover from the pandemic. And so this is really the second major shock facing the region in a very short period of time. Second, you have this shock that's really being being felt across the region, very broad based. So, um, for instance, even commodity producers that you would expect to benefit from a period of higher prices are actually seeing growth that's sort of in line with averages or or relatively weak. So, for example, South Africa, uh, we're expecting growth of around 1% in 2023. In countries uh, like Nigeria, Angola, both oil producers were expecting growth in the area of three, three and a half percent, which is uh, which reflects a combination of one higher oil prices or still elevated oil prices, but also um, production constraints that are limiting the impact on on growth. Um, and maybe the, the third point is that this period of weaker growth has potential to worsen uh, social risks, which, which are already quite elevated in the region. If you think. Uh, Across the region, the average consumption basket, around a third of it comes from food prices. And if you add energy or fuel prices, nearly 50% of the average consumption basket is tied to 
either food or fuel prices. And so in a period of elevated commodity prices, this is really going to weigh on lower income households particularly hard. And this is where we see a lot of the social pressure coming from. Got it. I mean, you painted quite a, a negative picture there, David, already. And I guess one thing I'd like to maybe just touch on with you is, is what does this all mean for default expectations, right? I mean, as we've gone through uh, the course of the year, you know, there's been a lot of articles around debt sustainability. You know, we've seen a number of defaults as well this year. And countries like Ghana, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Egypt, you know, these have all been mentioned quite a lot in, in press articles. So, you know, what, what's your take on that? And, and I guess when you're thinking about managing ratings, um, what, what's top of mind for you? What are the things that you're looking out for? That's a really good question. Um, we've already seen Zambia start debt restructuring talks. Ethiopia applied for debt relief under the common framework. And now more recently, we have Ghana, which has proposed a haircut on its outstanding debt as part of a broader debt restructuring package. And on top of this, now you're in a period of tighter financial conditions, higher inflation, tighter monetary policy, all coming at a time when the governments still have relatively large financing needs. And this is the result of the weaker growth we discussed and also elevated social spending pressure which uh, is triggered by higher commodity prices. And you know, in terms of how we try to differentiate uh, where these tighter financial conditions are leading to more elevated liquidity risk, it's really important to look at the upcoming Eurobond maturity profile for different sovereigns. Clearly, looking at spreads, markets are closed uh, for most countries. And if they do issue, it would be very expensive, signal very significant financing pressure that, that would cause them to issue a bond. Probably if you look at which countries are probably most exposed to higher or tighter financial conditions, list three come to mind first, Ghana, Kenya, Egypt. And these all have to do with the fact that all three countries have bonds coming due in the next two or three years. For instance, Kenya has a $2 billion a year bond due in 2024 against reserves of $7 billion. Now, how do they respond to this? In the case of Ghana, we've seen them indicate a, a, a debt restructuring, a haircut on principle. In the cases of Kenya and Egypt, we've seen them turn to, uh, to the IMF and commitment to fiscal consolidation in order to restore investor confidence. Uh, so, for instance, Egypt reached a uh, staff flow agreement with the IMF earlier this year. This has unlocked funding from other multilaterals and from, from regional partners. Kenya has been in the program for over a year and a half now. And so for countries like these two, like Kenya and Egypt, and really for, for countries across the region, the, the key is fiscal consolidation uh, that restores investor confidence ahead of, of upcoming debt maturities. Um, maybe just on, on the positive side, where we see less pressure coming from a period of elevated borrowing costs is really for countries that have been able to better manage their, their debt profile. Um, so two come to mind, Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, two examples where in the past they've issued bonds to buy back near-term maturities, really extending out or pushing out the maturity profile of the debt. So they don't really have much debt coming due until the end of the decade. So this kind of limits the, the immediate pressure, you know, how acute a period of higher uh, borrowing costs are for sovereigns like these. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, David. I mean, I think on the one hand, you've clearly got, you know, a lot of sovereigns that have a lot of refinancing and, and gross financing to do, as, as you say, but sort of kind of counteracting that, you've got the fact that maybe financial conditions are, are starting to ease off a little bit um, com compared to where they've been in, in, in recent weeks, but it still feels like a very uh, volatile situation. So, so thanks very much for that. Mick, I want to I bring you in now. I mean, David's already talked a little bit about uh, growth and inflation dynamics. And, and we know that uh, for your sector, that the, the emerging market banks, you know, the, these issues along with kind of domestic interest rates are, are really important for, for looking at credit risk. And I guess if I take a step back and, and, and think about emerging markets more generally, you know, it has been one of the positive stories this year, right, that, that central banks were generally very proactive at dealing with inflation, um, hiking early, hiking hard, particularly compared with uh, developed markets. 
Um, but how true is this in, in Africa? And, and when you think around uh, the different regions, what, what, are, what are some of the differences in, in some of those trends? Thank you, Scott. So we have indeed seen several emerging markets starting to hike interest rates earlier than advanced economies sometime in the middle of last year. That was the case in, in LATAM, for example, in some countries like Brazil, Peru or Chile. And that was also the case in CE, uh, countries like Hungary and Poland. When it comes to African countries, however, what we've seen is starting we've seen the central banks starting to hike later than some of the aforementioned countries. So they started rating, rising uh, interest rates at the start of this year, which is pretty much in line with the pace, you know, the point at which advanced economy central banks started increasing interest rates. This being said, you know, these African central bank in several countries have done a significant amount of of hiking so far this year. So if we take a, a few examples, South Africa was one of the first to start hiking. They started in November and they've so far this year hiked 250 basis points. And then if you look at countries that started a bit later, like Nigeria and Egypt, for example, both these countries started a bit later this year, but have raised by a cumulative amount of 500 basis points each. And then if you take an example of a central bank that raised uh, interest rates uh, in a smaller overall quantum, we have Kenya that has raised interest rates by, by 175 basis points so far, and Morocco that raised interest rate by 50 basis points in September. One last example would be of, you, you know, we have a few countries that did cut interest rates, and Angola is one such example. Uh, they did cut interest rate by 50 basis points in September, given the continued decline in inflation in the country. So they're a little bit more on top of things, perhaps, than some of the others. Is that is that right, or is it just anything specific to mention in Angola? They were in the earlier. They did rise interest rate by four hundred fifty basis points last year, uh, but also they did uh, some significant structural reforms. Uh, the, the GDP ratio has has come down, uh, and also they are an oil producer. Oil producer. Uh, oil prices are high, so. Fiscal revenues are higher, and that has strengthened the Kwanzaa, which also helps uh, contain inflation. Got it. So, so what does this all mean for for banks? And right, I mean, uh, when I think about domestic rates and inflation, on, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of maybe positive for profitability. On the other hand, higher inflation generally means maybe loans are going to come under under pressure. So, kind of, what what's the net impact on 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 banks with with this environment? Sure. So, our view is that higher inflation and higher interest rates will challenge the profitability of African banks, if you think about the net impact. And if you try and deconstruct the net impact, uh, if you start from the positive impact, we expect that this higher interest rate will help widen the names for, for African banks as they reprice their loan book faster than uh, the deposit side of the balance sheet. With differences, of course, we believe that the banks with short-term loans and floating rates loans will benefit more. So if you take South African banks, for example, with the large mortgage book, they'll uh, probably benefit more than some of the other banks on the continent. Banks in Kenya and, and Nigeria will probably benefit a bit less. So NIMS will widen, but to a lesser extent, given that some of their deposits are tied to the, uh, uh, the monetary policy rates in those countries. So that's for the positive impact, widening NIMS, but there will be challenges in terms of higher costs and higher provisioning, which will uh, uh, mostly, if not fully, offset the, uh, the benefit in most countries. If you start with the costs, we expect the, the, the expenses to go up, given the higher inflation, particularly in countries like South Africa, where uh, there's a, a large proportion of the workforce that's unionized. Uh, we believe that costs in Nigeria will increase, but to a lesser uh, at a lesser pace than inflation. Uh, 
uh, in line with uh, historical trend, but they will still face significant uh, regulatory costs. And then Kenyan banks, which are which have pretty advanced digital operations, will 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 also be able to manage the the cost quite well. And then to finish on the on the provisioning requirements, uh, we believe that they will uh, increase across the continent, given that high inflation, and high interest rate will pressure the repayment capacity and the disposable income of of borrowers. Uh, they'll probably increase more in Morocco and Kenya, which are countries with a higher proportion of lending uh, and exposure to small businesses and individuals, which tend to be more vulnerable than corporates. South African banks uh, also have significant household lending, but that book will be more resilient given that this is a mortgage book, which tends to, to perform a bit better. And then just to finish on Nigeria, we that's an interesting case because Nigerian banks have significant corporate lending, uh, particularly to the oil and gas sector, which should benefit from these higher oil prices and corporate are more uh, resilient than small businesses, as I was saying earlier. But the potential uh, material devaluation in in the in in the foreign exchange rate in Nigeria may actually have negative implication on 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 the repayment capacity of corporates. Thanks, thanks a lot, Mick. I mean, Matt, I want to bring you in now. I mean, um, maybe just before I kind of launch into my questions, maybe you could just, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, briefly introduce GCR and, and your role as well. Yep, thank you very much for having me. Uh, GCR Ratings is an emerging market specialist rating agency focused on Africa. We have offices in Johannesburg, Lagos, Nairobi, and Dakar, and in Mauritius. Uh, we have around 400 ratings with 40 analysts on the continent. Got it. Welcome to the podcast. I mean, Mick's already talked a little bit about some sort of inflation and, and, and growth dynamics in some of you know, large EM banking systems in, in, in Africa. But I guess what's really interesting for me is what you're seeing from the local currency space, right? Because if I understand right, I mean, G most of GCR's ratings are, are, are on the, the local currency bond instruments rather than sort of the, the dollar euro bonds. So, so what are you seeing in, in your world that you think could be uh, sort of interesting for international investors? Yeah, thank you. US dollar scarcity is the biggest risk facing Africa. People, we can discuss inflation, we can discuss, discuss interest rates, but US dollar scarcity is, is the single largest issue. So, and you can broadly divide the risk across the continent with whether you got access to US dollar and whether you will get access to US dollar. So for example, just take a look at the Ghanaian banks at the moment. Ghanaian banks have been doing an operation with Ghanaian Central Bank for a while now where they've been swapping US dollars for SEDI and been receiving quite a nice kicker off the back of it in terms of profitability. But the Ghanaian Central Bank has been providing government support there. So if that operation goes away, you've automatically got more vulnerability for the Ghanaian banks. Then let's talk about the Nigerian banks. On the Nigerian side, you've got asset liability mismatches on the dollar book. If you're not managing dollar book properly across the continent, it's incredibly risky. And that's the same arguably for Kenya, but not to the same extent. I'd say South Africa is probably the one country that probably isn't exposed as much to dollar flight. But even there, because of the weakening of the rand and because of some volatility, it is the one risk that I would say um, hits the whole of the continent. Okay, now that's really interesting. I mean, what about what about corporates then? And if you maybe look at the the larger economies, is there anything that you're sort of seeing amongst corporates in terms of trends? You know, it could be anything really, you know, revenue, profitability, growth, upgrades and downgrades that you think would be interesting as well for for dollar based investors. Yeah, localization is massive currently on the continent. It's one of the big trends. It's one of the things that the Africans 
that we work with have been talking about it for a long time. However, the disruption disruption sorry to the COVID um, supply chains really created a kind of a mini boom or a kind of a reassessment of how they do these things. So this again, take Nigeria. The Nigerian steel mills are doing phenomenally well for the first time in a long time, making really positive cash flows. You know, in the sixties and seventies percent on a free operating cash flow basis. This is just amazing. And you're starting to see that in other areas. Now, Nigeria is, I would argue, probably the most entrepreneurial country um, on the continent. Other people might argue with me about that. But they're kind of the forefront of this. But you're also seeing spaces in um, South Africa, you're seeing spaces in Kenya where they're saying, okay, if we can't deal with the rest of the world, then we need to deal with ourselves. And I think the trade agreements that we've seen in Africa is is one of the it's kind of the kind of the sharp point of that as well. And then obviously from a mining perspective, commodity prices haven't been bad. It's not universally true. And that has been supportive of the mining houses and the associated services around it. So we haven't seen more than two corporate defaults over 18 months. And we've got a portfolio of about 150 corporates across the continent. It doesn't seem to be a particularly risky portfolio, right? Despite, despite the fact that people are talking about the risks of the continent over and over again. That's really interesting, and I guess when you when you think about, I mean, you've heard about you know what what uh, what David and, and, and Mick have talked a little bit about in terms of broader uh, credit conditions. I mean, anything you disagree with there? I mean, is, does a lot of that sort of chime with what you're seeing uh, at GCR? Or is there any maybe a, a, a spot where you maybe want to call out perhaps a, a bit of a brighter picture? I think um, I would actually say there is a slightly brighter, and I tell you why: Africa is a resilient continent. It isn't. It's not like we haven't dealt with interest rates before. It's not like we haven't dealt with inflation before. It's not like we haven't dealt with a lot of this stuff. And therefore, the risks that the rest of the world are seeing for the first time in a long time in Europe, I mean, how many people in the room have paid interest rates of 10%? It's probably just me, right? So it's uh, a lot of people are um, seeing those risks externally and, and kind of putting a very gloomy picture on it. It's definitely right to be gloomy. But as I said, the bigger risks are actually the US dollar scarcity issue. Food security... Uh, David picked up, and that is a massive issue in Africa. You need to keep food security up. And um, South Africa is pretty good at food security, but there are elements. If you get another locust problem in East Africa next year, inflationary prices are going to be huge, and that's going to cause some problems. So I would uh, look at that from a risk perspective. Um, but we are seeing some bright spots. We, I actually think um, that they, uh, they, and by I mean that kind of the, the broader sense of the African continent, They've got um, a stronger education system than they've ever had. They're getting a lot more, they're getting very solid remittances back. And because of that, it is pushing uh, professionalization in Africa, which means that you get some very solid parts of these economies now, um, which is obviously a very bright thing and a very, it's a, it's a bright place to be in that regard. Awesome. Thank, thanks very much. So David, Mick, Matt, thanks very much for coming onto the show today and, and sharing our insights with us. Join us next time for another edition of Emerging Markets Decoded. And in the meantime, if you have any comments or feedback for us, please feel free to email at empodcast at moody's.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.